The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. open it up to Romans chapter 12. Two, two references, Romans chapter 12, and then also go to Daniel chapter 6. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to start. Daniel chapter 6. We're going to spend some time in Daniel 6 here in just a little bit. We're in a series right now called Creature of Habit, and we've been talking, uh, we actually started last week talking about um, the habits of our life, and what we're doing is we're investigating these habits and, and looking at how we can harness these habits for for the benefit and for the good of our life. Uh, we learned last week that we're all creatures of habit. We all have habits in our life, and these habits in our life are either a tremendous source of good that's moving us forward into what it is God wants for us and what it is God wants to do with our life, or our habits can be a tremendous source of bad, and they can be dragging us down and creating chaos in our life. And, and, and I said this last week, statistics tell us that 40% of our life in, on any given week is done out of habit. 40% of your life is just kind of is happening. It's being decided by a past version of you that made a decision one time, and then that decision got repeated a couple of times, and then it formed a habit, and now it's just kind of automatically happened. That part of your life has just kind of fallen into autopilot. And so since habits are a big deal, what we're doing is in the series is we're, we're taking a look at our habits and we're, we're figuring out how to take this habit nature and harness it so that it can be utilized for, the, for our good, for the good of the church, for the good of the people around us, our family, our sphere of influence, for the good of all mankind, really. And, and here's the thing, if we can't get this figured out, if we can't really figure out a way to harness this 40% of our life, um, it's going to keep us from really being able to do what God has called us to do. All right, I told you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Let's look at this now. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says something uh, very important here. He says this. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul tells us here, that part of our job as Christians, as believers, he, he says brethren here, he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ, talking to us if you're a Christian. Part of our job is to offer ourselves to God fully, to offer every area of our life, present ourselves to God, that we would have this approach on a daily basis where we go to God and we say, God, here I am, here's all of me, I want you to take me and I want you to use me however you would. Now think about this, okay? If this habit stuff is true, and if 40% of our life is just happening habitually, then think about this. It, then how can we truly offer ourselves to God fully if we cannot account for 40% of our life? If we can't account for 40% of our life, then, then really, all we can really ever offer to God is about 60%. And that's not what God's called us to do. But think about, flip it, and think about it the other way. If we can find a way to harness these habits in our life, and, and utilize them for our spiritual growth and for godly purposes, if we can do that, then think about this, then we start every day 40% ahead of the curve, 40% more pleasing to God. That's awesome, isn't it? So that's what part of this is all about. We want to do this. And, and here's why we do it. Paul says this. He says, brethren, by the mercies of God. Uh, another translation says it this way, in view of God's mercy. Or I would say it like this, uh, considering all that Jesus has done for you. 
When you take into consideration all that Jesus has done through, through the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection, everything that he's done for us, considering all that, uh, it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. I think that's a pretty reasonable ask of Jesus, that he, since he gave his life for us, we should be willing to surrender our life to him and to say, God, here I am, use me. Here's every part of me. Here's not just 60% of me, but here's all of me. And so that's why it's important that we get this habit thing figured out. And let me just say this. If you missed last week's message, make sure you go back and listen to that. Because we laid a lot of foundational groundwork last week uh, that will help you moving forward in your habit life. So make sure you check that out. Now this week, I want to talk to you about good habits from a general sense. Okay, we're going to get more into the specific good habits in the weeks ahead in this series. But today I want to talk to you about really how to go after these good habits, the kind of mindset, the kind of, the kind of character we need to set in our hearts so that we can go to God and we can, we can go after these good habits that we believe God is calling to us. Okay, so I have five points for you this morning. If you're taking notes, five points, and here's my first one. Little habits have big impact. Little habits have big impact. It's the little things in our life that can lead to the biggest differences in our life. It's the little things, the little victories, the little obediences, the little things, the little things that we put into practice in our life and we consistently do over and over again. It's those little things that can add up to something great. I was watching uh, Sunday Night Football a couple of weeks ago, and uh, my Dallas Cowboys were playing this night. Go Cowboys. And they were doing really good. They were pounding this other team that they were playing as they've been doing a lot this year, which has been very good and very good for my, my psyche. I've been struggling since I was 15 years old with this team, and so things are finally starting to look up. But I'm not jinxing it, so I'm just going to be quiet now, okay? But I'm watching this game, and, and one of the announcers in the game, he, he made a statement, and I found it very interesting. And it was one of these statements that I heard it, and I, it caused me to kind of investigate it more. But he was talking about the offense of the Dallas Cowboys and how that they weren't necessarily an offense that, you know, bombed the ball down the field or broke off just huge run after huge run, but that they were just kind of chipping away at the teams and they just kind of methodically were destroying the teams that they were playing. And he said this, he said, this offense is like death by a thousand cuts. Death by a thousand cuts. You maybe you heard that term before, death by a thousand cuts. Maybe if you're in the business world, you've heard somebody say death by a thousand paper cuts before. And the idea there is this idea that little things, enough little things can add up to something that's very impactful. Now that, that term, death by a thousand cuts, comes from uh, this, this form of execution that the Chinese people used to do years and years ago called Ling Chi. Okay? And, and here's what Ling Chi is. Ling Chi literally means a thousand cuts. And here's what they would do. They would take somebody that they were wanting to execute somebody really bad, and they would put them on a table and they would make little cuts into this person. Tons and tons of little cuts until they got up to around a thousand cuts where that person would eventually die. It wasn't like a big death blow off with their head or hang them kind of moment. It was little tiny cuts over and over again. It sounds horrific, right? And it would take days for this to take place. But, but what we see there is enough little bad things can lead to the demise of a human being. You know, we've all had a paper cut before, and a paper cut's not going to kill you, right? But if you've got thousands of them all over your body, eventually they actually could. 
And, and so here's the idea. Little things can, can add up to something really bad. But, but also, if that's true, then the other side of that is true too. That if, if little bad things can add up to, to your death, then little good things can add up to, to life. And that's what this announcer in this football game was kind of alluding to, that the Cowboys' offense wasn't necessarily this you know, offense that was just destroying you with these huge death blows, you know, bomb passes down the field, but that they just methodically, consistently kept getting positive plays that were leading to the demise of their team and to their victories. And the same is true for me and you today, that, that it's the little things that make a, di- a big difference. And you know, sometimes I think we, we read stories in the Bible and we see the big stories in the Bible, but I want you to know, most of the time when God works through us and works in us and works with us, it's through the little things. And the Bible has a lot to say about little things. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 13, verse 31. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, for those of you who don't know, a mustard seed is a little tiny seed. It's about the size of of a sesame seed. It's actually a little bit smaller than a sesame seed, which is like on a hamburger bun or on a bagel. And it goes on to say, Jesus says this, he says, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden of plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. So what we see here is Jesus kind of unloads this principle here that, that big results can come from small things. Jesus said this in Luke 16, 10. He said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. But whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So we see here this idea that that little things are preparing us and testing us for bigger things. If you can't take care of the little things in your life, listen, you're a teenager, you're a young person in here today. Man, I used to hear this all the time growing up, but it was good. I needed to hear it. If you can't keep your room clean, if you can't keep your car clean, if you can't take care of the little details of your life, if you can't be honest with every aspect of your business, even those small little things, how do you expect God to bless you in bigger things? We can't. If we can't be honest with the little things, we can't expect God to bless us and move us towards bigger things. There's a story in Deuteronomy chapter 7 where the children of Israel are, are going into this promised land. And now, realize this. The promised land was promised to them by who? Anybody? Who promised them the promised land? God, right? And so, realize this. If God makes a promise, it's done. It's a done deal. So he promised them that they were going to go into this land. There was this promised land waiting for them. And then he, he works to bring them out of slavery through the ten, through the ten plagues. He, he, they cross the Red Sea. He does all this work. And now they're getting ready to go into this promised land, this land that he says is theirs, that in his eyes is already theirs. But there's enemies in the land, right? There's people in this land that they're going to have to do something with. And you would think that maybe God would just come in and, and, you know, just wipe the land out, just clean it all out. But there's actually things that God's wanting to do with these, with his children as he moves them into the land. So this is what God says to, to them in Deuteronomy 7 verse 22. It says, the Lord, your God will drive out those nations before you. Now look at how he's going to do it. Little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. See, often in our life, we want to see those big miraculous moments take place. And listen, I believe God wants to produce those. But I I believe this. I believe we position ourselves for the miraculous with how we handle the little things. And oftentimes with God, victory comes little by little. Little habits have a big impact. And the key for us, the key to a godly, successful Christian life 
The key to the breakthroughs that we all want to see happen in our life is found oftentimes in the little things, the small acts of obedience, the small habits that we deliberately, purposefully put into place. I told you to turn to Daniel earlier, Daniel chapter 6. We're going to look at that now. And in this story, we, we see an amazing victory that takes place in the life of this guy, Daniel. But I want, you, I want to show you how what we see in this is that he had the right things built into his life, which led him to this victory. This is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, starting verse 1. It says this, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Now, this is one of those verses, a couple verses that you read and you're just going, what? Okay, here's what he's saying. There's 120 satraps. A satrap was like a, was like a local government leader. It'd be like a, like a mayor, okay? They were over a little region. And then there were these three governors that were over the 120 satraps, of which Daniel was one. So he was overseeing uh, a bunch of these other little kind of mayor type people, okay, in this region, right? Verse three, it says, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, meaning he, he was standing out above everybody else. There's something about him that they looked at him and they said, man, this guy's better than everybody else because look at what it says next, an excellent spirit was in him. If you have a physical Bible with you, highlight that, underline that, write that in your notes. An excellent spirit was in him. We'll come back to that. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So King Darius looks at, at Daniel and he sees this excellent spirit in him. He sees something in Daniel's life and he says, man, this is the guy. Like this guy is above everybody else. I'm going to set him as my number two guy over everything. Okay, verse 4, it says this. So the governors and satraps, this is the other two governors and everybody else, they wanted to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. These guys didn't like this idea. <laughs> they didn't want Daniel to be put in this position of authority because he, if he gets all this authority, it probably means some authority is going to be taken away from them. They don't want to have to answer to Daniel, so what do they do? They, they try to find something against him. But look what it says. But they could not find any charge or fault because he was faithful. Everybody say faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. It's pretty amazing. Daniel was such a faithful man that when these guys tried to find some kind of error in his life, that they, they came up empty. They couldn't find anything. Verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Okay, here's what they're saying. We can't find anything in his life that is, is bad. He's not doing anything wrong. So, so here's what we can do. This guy is so committed to his God. He's so faithful to his God that here's what we're going to do. We're going to find a way to leverage that against him to get him into trouble. Right? So here's what they do. Verse 6. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree. Now, that's not true. They didn't, they didn't go to Daniel. Daniel was not brought into this brainstorming meeting about this plan here. And look at this. It says, whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king shall be cast into a den of lions. So basically they're saying this, if you worship any other God for the next 30 days, you're going to be put to death. You're going to be thrown into this den of lions and you're going to be killed. 
Verse 8, now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they want the king to sign this, this petition in such a way that even the king, if he decides after he signs it that he wants to change it, he can't. Once his, once his seal of approval's on it, not even the king himself can change it. Verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So he listens to these guys. He believes what they're saying. He probably is, is thinking that Daniel was a part of this and Daniel was in on this. So he signs the decree and now it's against the law to worship any God or pray to anyone, anybody but him. Now, verse 10, look at the next thing that Daniel does. Now, when Daniel knew that this writing was signed, that means Daniel knew well and good that this had been signed. He was, not, he was aware of it. He knew the consequences of it. He went home. And in his upper room with the windows open towards Jerusalem, so he's not hiding, he's not trying to keep this from anybody, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now look at this, this is the big moment here. As was his custom since early days. Daniel had made it a habit in his life. At some point early on in his life, he set into practice this custom this habit that he was going to pray to his God three times a day. And it was so set into the marrow of who he was as a person that it didn't matter what else came up. It didn't matter what anybody else said. It was who he was and it was what he was going to do. And so when this this petition was signed, it didn't affect him. He went running to what he always did. He ran to his habit. He ran to his custom. He ran to the thing that he held valuable in his life. So these guys bust into his house and they grab him and they take him before the king and they say, King Darius, you remember that petition that you just signed? That if anybody prays to any God other than you, that they're going to get thrown into a lion's den? Well, guess what? Daniel prayed to another God. And so now he's got to be thrown into the lion's den and there's nothing you can do about it, king. It's got to be done, so you got to do it. And the king has no choice. As much as he loves Daniel, as much as he values Daniel, he has to throw him into this pit of lions. Verse 16 says this. So the king gave command. And they brought Daniel and they cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the Bible goes on to say that that night King Darius couldn't sleep. That he, he was fasting and, and he was concerned and he was worried about, about Daniel. Meanwhile, what he doesn't know is Daniel's fine. Daniel's in the lion's den, and I, I imagine he's, he's cuddled up with some lion, having like the best night's sleep of his life, you know, dreaming away. So the next morning, the light, you know, hits the day. It's as early as it possibly can be. The king runs to the pit. He has him pull back the stone, and he says this, verse 20, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him, before his God. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. So the king uh, has Daniel pulled out of the lion's den. And look what the next thing he does, verse 24. And the king gave the command. And they brought those men who had accused Daniel, basically these other guys that got him thrown into the lion's den. And they cast them into the den of lions. And it goes on to say that these guys, these guys fell into the pit and that the lions leapt up and grabbed them and crushed every bone in their body and destroyed them before their feet ever hit the ground. Now, 
this is one of those stories that you hear it and you go, man, that is, that's like a hashtag goals kind of story right there, right? <laughs> that's who I want to be. I want to be the kind of person who has that kind of faith, who's willing to, to stand up for what's right, stand up for what I believe in, in spite of what the consequences may be. We see this, this massive victory in his life, but here's the thing I want you to see. I believe that this epic win that Daniel experienced here was a result of what we read in verse 10 where it says, as was his custom since early days. I believe the secret to to Daniel's success was that he had put these habits in place in his life. He had made spiritual habits a part of who he was. It was a part of his character. It was a part of of, of what he was going to do, and he wasn't going to change it for anybody. And, and here's what I want you to see. If you're, if you're taking notes, here's, here's my first point. This is first point about Daniel's life, but it's the second point in the message. Public victories come from private disciplines. Public victories come from private disciplines. See, we love the story of Daniel. We love the story of a guy who's willing to pray when his life is on the line, and we, we hope that that will be us. We hope that we can be the kind of person who'd be willing to stand up and do something like that. But, but here's what I want you to see this morning. In order to have the kind of faith that would be willing to stand up when it would cost you something, you have to be the kind of person who has the kind of faith to stand up and do something consistently, even if it's small, when it might not cost you anything. Instead of asking yourself the question of, would I be willing to pray if my life was on the line? Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to pray at all? Are you willing to pray when your life's not on the line? Because I can tell you this, if you're not willing to pray, if you don't see that your life is on the line when it comes to prayer on a daily basis, then you will not have the kind of faith to stand up and pray when it could cost you. See, Daniel didn't just happen into this. This was not his first time to pray. It wasn't like this decree went down and was like, oh, I better pray. No, this was the custom of his life. This was something he he did, and he had been doing for a long time. You know, you hear the story of Daniel, and I, I grew up in church, and I remember being in kids' ministry, you know, and you get the coloring page, and you got, you know, Daniel sitting there with a couple of lions around him, and he's smiling, he's got his little beard, and looks, got kind of fluffy hair and all that stuff, and it's like, oh, there's Daniel, all right, he's having a good time with the lions, and you know, and, and I, maybe you're like me, I, I thought Daniel was probably, I don't know, maybe around the age of about 30, maybe, you know, mid-30s, maybe 40s or so. Well, when I studied this out, you know how old Daniel was when this happened? He was between the ages of 83 and 87 when he got thrown into the lion's den. He was pushing 90 when he got thrown into the lion's den. That's pretty amazing. And and here's what I want you to see. It says, as was his custom since early days. See, early in his life, Daniel had made this decision that he was going to be a man of prayer. He was going to pray three times a day. We don't know when it might have happened. It may have happened when he was nine years old. It may have happened when he was 10 years old. Let's just say it happened when he was 17 years old. Let's just say it happened right when he got brought into Babylonian captivity. Well, if that's the case, he's doing that every day, 365 days a year, three times a day. By the time that this story happened, he had dropped down to his knees and prayed 76,000 plus times before his life was on the line. He had put this into practice. It was the default setting of his life. And so when, when the fires got hot, he, he, it, didn't, it didn't bother him because this is who he was. You see, here's what I want you to see. Genuine success in our life, in our, especially in our Christian walk with God, is never accidental. We don't just stumble into this stuff. 
We have to put it into practice. Public victories come from private disciplines. Maybe, maybe you see some people in the church sometime or some pastors or different people in, the, in what's called the body of Christ sometimes and you see them and you think, man, it just seems like it comes so easy for them. It just seems like this is so simple for them. You know, and it kind of reminds me of like what you see with an athlete sometimes. You know, you see these athletes on TV and it looks so easy for them. They make one-handed catches. They jump through the roof. They dribble the basketball so well. A couple uh, months ago, me and some guys here at the church decided to go out and play basketball. And uh, I grew up playing basketball. I was a point guard in high school. I, I, I was fairly good. I wasn't, you know, college material or anything, but I could hold my own. But I got out with these guys that day and it was pathetic I was amazed at how bad I, I felt like I was. There was one point in my life, I didn't have to think about dribbling the basketball. Like I had done it so much, it just, I could just dribble the basketball and shoot. But I found myself that day thinking, okay, I have to dribble a basketball and I have to, where are my feet when I shoot? And I'm exhausted and I was terrible. And we see some people sometimes and we think, well, they're just, they're just so good at this. No, they're not. They've practiced They've put this stuff into work. They've done it over and over again until it becomes the default setting of their life. And now when, when the heat is on and they get into these big games, they can do what they've practiced over and over again. You see, strength under the fire is a result of conditioning when it's calm. Strength under the fire is a result of conditioning when it's calm. If you want to be able to perform under pressure, you need to be the kind of person who practices when it's peaceful. And that's what we see in Daniel. He had practiced this over and over again. He did the little things when no one was watching and it led up to him walking into this victory. Public victory comes from private disciplines. The next thing we see in the life of Daniel, point number three, but the second point about Daniel's life is this. Not all habits are created equal. You need to realize not all the habits of your life are created equal. Now, habits are all powerful, to some degree, all of the habits of our life, but there are some habits that have the ability to influence other areas of our life. In the world of habits, uh, they call these keystone habits. And keystone habits are habits that can kind of affect other habits of our life. They, they, they help us to develop other good habits. Uh, basically, I would say it like this, keystone habits are influencers. Keystone habits are like the cool kids in the high school of your mind, right? And they, they do their thing, and other things follow along with them. Other conditions come along and follow. Other habits follow them. Other parts of our life follow those keystone habits that we place in our life. And, and what we see in Daniel, we don't know everything about the life of Daniel, but I can tell you this. Daniel was a man of prayer. And, and a person who's willing to pray three times a day, every day, since early in their life, I can tell you they're a person who is pursuing the heart of God. And what that led to was what it says, an excellent spirit was in him. See, Daniel had an excellent spirit in him because he placed an excellent spirit in him. He placed that excellent spirit in him by continually doing the right thing. He didn't just kind of luck into that. You know, there's not just some of us that are born with an excellent spirit in us. We, we get that developed in us through the practices of our life, through what we do. And Daniel put spiritual godly habits in place and they affected all the other areas of our life of his life. And we see in his life that he became a better worker. He became uh, smarter than everybody else to the point that, that King Darius looked at him and was ready to make him the number two guy in the whole kingdom because this guy was doing such an excellent job with his life. So my question to you this morning is this, what are your keystone habits? What are the habits in your life that have the ability to affect other habits in your life? 
that have the ability to touch other areas of your life and produce the kind of fruit that you want to see and that God wants to see in your life? What are the habits, the practices that you're doing? Because habits are powerful, but not all habits are created equal. So what we need to do as Christians is we need to identify what some of these habits are. What are some of those keystone habits that we need to place in our life that are going to lead to other habits which lead to the kind of life God wants us to have? Now, again, I I said we're going to talk about some of these. We're going to give you some of these keystone habits in the weeks ahead and talk to you about some of the habits you as a Christian, you as a, a person attending this church, need to have put in your life that are going to affect all other areas of your life. But but here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you, first of all, to go to the Lord with this. Go to God. And ask the Holy Spirit, God, what, what, what are you saying to me through this? What are the things that I need to change? What are the things that I need to put into practice that I'm not practicing currently that will help me to develop this, this habit life and this character that you want me to have? Not all habits are created equal. The fourth thing that we see, third thing that we see in the life of Daniel, fourth point is this. When you control what you can, you don't have to worry about what you can't. When you control what you can control, you don't have to worry about what you can't control. You know, Daniel's life, when you really think about it, is like a, it's almost like a picture of, of a person living a life with chaos all around them. I mean, from the very beginning, at 17 years old, he gets, he gets ripped out of his home. He gets ripped away from his family. He gets ripped away from his culture as a, as a Hebrew Jewish boy. And he gets brought into this Babylonian culture. And what the Babylonians would try to do is they would try to, to basically pull all of your heritage, all of your culture, all of that out of you and indoctrinate you into their culture so that they could take the brightest and the best of other cultures and make them serve Babylonian culture. And so right away in Daniel chapter 1, we see that they start this process by first of all messing with his diet. See, he was Jewish, and, he, and, and the Jewish people had, a, had very strict laws in what they could eat. God was very clear what he wanted them to be eating, how he wanted them to be, to be dieting on a regular basis. And, and immediately, they bring him in, and they offer him as one of these, they see this excellence in him, and they offer him the king's table. And there's a lot of good stuff on the king's table, good food, good things that he probably look very good to him. And think about Daniel in this situation. He's been brought into slavery. He's lost everything. I mean, if anybody could, you know, find an excuse at this time in his life, like, I'm sure that the thought crossed his mind of, well, it's not my fault. I mean, I'm a slave. What can I do? They're, they're telling me I have to do this. He's probably seeing a lot of other Hebrew guys around him that are, that are bowing down to this and are, are going ahead and doing it. But, but Daniel wouldn't do it. In Daniel verse 8 of chapter 1, it says this, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel made a decision. Before this ever came about, he made a decision that he was going to honor what God asked him to do. And I imagine this. I imagine in this situation, there was a lot of uncertainty in the life of Daniel. Everything is pulled away. And I'm sure, realize this, it's all out of his control. He can't control this stuff, but here's what he can control. With everything else going chaotic around him, he can still work by the grace of God to control himself and to do all he can to try to continue to serve God, to follow God, and keep this excellent spirit inside himself. When you can't control 
when you, can't, when you control what you can, you don't have to worry about what you can't. Matthew 6, Jesus said this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Everybody say all these things. Everything else, if we'll seek God first, everything else says shall be added to you. If you'll seek God first, if you'll put God first, he'll take care of everything else around you. Now, I don't know what your situation may be today. I don't know what you may be facing today. I don't know what kind of chaos may be around you in your world. There may be some situations in your life right now that are beyond your control. You can't control. Financially, maybe relationally, maybe there's people in your life that, that you can't control them. You can't control what they do. You can't control what they say. You're trying. You're trying to follow God. You're trying to do everything right and, and, and trying to get them to make the right decision. But at the end of the day, you can't control them. But here's what you can control. By the grace of God, you can control you. You can control what you're going to do. And you can continue to seek first the kingdom of God. And here's what God tells us. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you do that, he'll take care of everything. He'll work it out. I, I can't tell you how that's going to work out. I can't tell you how quickly it's going to happen. I can't tell you what God's going to do. I, I, I wish I could, but I can't. But here's what I can tell you. God is true to his word. And if he says that he'll take care of it, he'll take care of it. He'll see you through. So you just control what you can. And then God will take care of the rest. Now, I got one more point for you today. And this point is kind of an action step, okay? So this point kind of feeds into what I want you to, to do to help you to achieve all these other things that we're talking about, all right? So point number five is this, win the day. Win the day. If you wanna build godly habits in your life, you have to take on a mindset in your life that says, I'm gonna do the little things that help me to win today so that I can then again win tomorrow and I can keep adding these wins into my life so that I can have the winning future that I want to have. So here's, here's the action step for you this week, okay? This week, at some point, I gave you homework last week. I got homework for you again, okay? This week, at some point, I want you to sit down and I want you to write down uh, and define what a winning day looks like for you. What a winning day will look like for you at this season of your life. What it's going to take for you to, to put together daily wins right now. Not 50 years from now, but, but Monday, tomorrow what it's going to take for you to win tomorrow. I think sometimes as, as people, we get so caught up in this future win idea of what we can achieve in the future that we sometimes neglect the winning today that we need to do. And here's the thing. If you'll win tomorrow, if you'll, if you'll go to God and partner with God and do what it takes to, to define a win and then start putting wins together and start stacking them on top of each other and you start winning every day, you know what that's going to lead to? That's going to lead to this ultimate victory that you want to see produced in your life. But it comes out of the decision that you're going to have to win today. Now, your win is probably going to be different than some of the other people's wins around you. I don't know where you are today. You know where you are today. You know what you may be struggling with. You know where you are at spiritually. You, know, you kind of know where those things are. So what's a win look like for you? You need to, to figure out what are the components that make up a winning day for you. Spiritually, physically. As a, as a spouse, as a parent, as an employee, as an employer, as a student, what is it that makes up a winning day for you? How much time do you need to spend reading the Bible for it to be a winning day for you? Is it 20 minutes? Is it 10 minutes? 
Is it five minutes? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? How much time do you need to spend in the word? Define what a winning day is for you. Is a, is a component of you having a winning day not raising your voice and yelling at your kids? Is a component for you winning a day, is it that you stop smoking? Is, is encouraging your spouse, is that a component that's going to lead to a winning day for you? Is, is, is stop gossiping a component that's going to lead to a winning day for you? How much exercise do you need to put in place in your life? How many days a week do you need to be exercising? For how long on those days? We're going to define a win so that we can then go after it. We define it, and then we know what it is, and we can go after it. And by the grace of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can start putting these wins to, together, and it starts leading us towards this life God has for us. And as you move forward, God will start changing the wins. Your wins will start changing. Your win may start with five minutes in the Word, but then it moves to, to 10, and then 20, and then you can't get enough of the Word. God starts to revolutionize your heart, revolutionize the way you see. You put habits in your life, and they start to change everything else. But when we define the win. And listen, if you mess up, don't quit. If you're going along, putting these wins together, and on day, day 11, you mess up and you, and you fail and you miss one of your wins, that doesn't mean you, you throw in the towel. You just pick up on, on day 12 and you start all over. You don't start all over. You, you pick up where you left off and you keep going forward. You don't, you don't have to throw in the towel. You don't have to quit. You keep going. If you sin, you repent, you ask God to forgive you, and then you keep moving ahead. You keep moving forward. I want to invite the band to come up at this time. We're going to define a win, and then we're going to go after it. And here's what I believe will happen. As you continue to pursue God and his purposes for your life, and you continue to do the little things, the small things, the things that maybe not everybody else sees, but that God sees, it's going to lead to these kerplunk moments in your life. Probably wondering what this thing has been up here the whole time for. Well, Kerplunk is a game. I don't know if you guys played this as a kid, but it's a game of breakthrough, really, when you think about it. You, you play the game, and you pull out these little sticks, and you pull them out one by one, and then eventually there comes a moment when you pull them out, and everything comes crashing down. Now, in the game, that means you lost. <laughs> but for the sake of this illustration, here's what I believe God was saying, that he wants to bring some breakthrough into your life. But it comes from us being willing to, to partner with him and do the little things. And that there's, there's little obediences that we can put in practice in our life that as we do them, that God will begin to be able to remove certain aspects of our life and maybe even place certain other things into our life. And all of a sudden we'll find that we get to this place in our life where we look back and we go, look at how everything has fallen into place. Look at how all the marbles are exactly where they're supposed to be. Why? Because I did the little things consistently over and over again. And I believe God said this. I believe this is a word for our church. That God wants to create these kerplunk moments in your life this year. But it's going to come from the little obediences. Are you willing to do the little things? Are you willing to put these things that God's asking you to do into place in your life so that he can begin to produce the fruit in your life that he wants to produce that's going to lead to breakthroughs for you, for your family, for the world around you. We need to be willing to do those little things. I got this little word. This is my little last statement of the message. Take a note to write this down. A lifetime of fruitfulness is born out of daily faithfulness. 
a lifetime of fruitfulness is born out of daily faithfulness. If you'll be faithful with the little things, if you'll be faithful with the day-in, day-out decisions that God is putting before you, if you'll harness these good habits and start putting them to work and win days, I believe that there is an amazing life ahead of every one of you in here. So little habits have a big impact. Don't neglect the little things. Enough little things can add up to something great. Public victories come from private disciplines. It's the little things that we're willing to do when no one else is watching that produce something great in our life. Not all habits are created equal. There are some habits in our life that are keystone habits that have the ability to change and and affect other areas of our life. So we need to identify what those are. If you're in a place here today where you feel like there's some aspects of your life that are out of control, what can you control? You can control you, and you can control your ability to follow after God and seek Him first. And then our approach to all of this is we win the day. We win every day. We go after what it takes to win the day. Define the win, and then go after it by the grace of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today in this message? Just take a moment and and listen. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people here. And I thank you, God, that we believe that you want to create these kerplunk moments in our life. That you want to pull away the things that are holding us back, the things that are keeping us from the life that you've called us to. You want to produce breakthrough in our lives, Lord. And we recognize today that it's in the little things. So God, we we ask that you would help us to be faithful with the little things. We pray that you would help us this week to define what our win is and to go after it with all of our heart. God, we thank you that our win is not just about us. It's about the world around us. It's about our spouse. It's about our kids. It's about people who are unsaved that are in our sphere of influence. This isn't just us. This is for the world. And so God, we choose to offer ourselves to you fully to take on every part of our life, to to work, to take that 40% that is habitual of our life and to take it and to own it for the kingdom of God so that you can produce fruit in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.